Welcome to Bleach's BBC, the Quarantine Q edition, where I interview and meet influential people of Berlin and hear their life story and how it's been affected by the Corona crisis of 2020. They choose free songs to represent their past, present, and future, and we get to learn a little bit more about the influential characters of Berlin. You can find more episodes and information at www.bleachesbbc.tumblr.com. And today I have a very special guest that crosses paths and pathways from music to theatre to performance to DJing. The influential and spectacular Ixa, formerly known as Mr. Manic, seen in psychedelic punk bands. Bought up in Philadelphia and exchanged from Europe to Philly to now, where they are here in Berlin in Friedrichshain at Bard House. Smoking as usual. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Ixa? Just wonderful. It's nice and sunny. I feel like the weather finally broke today. Yes. We had the opportunity. The summer's <laughs> coming. Yeah, it's whole season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're dressed gorgeously, double denim. The heels are on, the nails are there. Yes. Stunning as always. And I mean, let's, let's bring it all the way back, all the way back to Philadelphia. You were brought up by the Mount Lowry in New Jersey. Was I close? Mount Laurel. So Laurel, I believe, is a kind of tree. Mm. And there is a small hill there that would be the Mount of the town. It's actually like a very old like colonial town. So there's some buildings from the 18th century still standing, some Quaker stuff. And it was a pretty liberal, like open-minded, kind of diverse town. Nice. So not too much to complain about there. Kind of had sort of a, um, a somewhat idyllic upbringing. Sweet. And I mean, you had uh, two older sisters and you were close to your family. How was family life in this uh, idyllic setting? It was uh, pretty amazing because, like, my parents, I think, uh, actually, as I got older, I look a lot at how I am from how my parents were. And my parents, like, grew up, like, you know, in mu much more poverty than I did. They really had to, like, fight to get their place. And um, uh, when, when I was growing up in Mount Laurel, they were kind of, like, moving away from going to church all the time. They were kind of getting into a different phase of their life. So I was exposed to a lot of things. I wasn't like forced to like go to church. I wasn't forced to have religion. Uh, like I had all kinds of friends. I was allowed to listen to different kinds of music. I was exposed to a lot of things, taught a lot of things. So um, I always like had a pretty close relationship with my family because there weren't too many things that they were, you know, raising me with that made me feel like I needed to get away from them. I mean, that's brilliant and special. And I mean, now you stand here, a queer being. <laughs> Did that ever struggle with your upbringing? Was you seen as different or queer at the time? Or did it all slot in quite nicely? Well, I was like seen differently more like when I would go visit relatives. Because like I was growing up in more like in a different culture where my friends, I had like predominantly white friends. And then friends of like different colors, but then also a pretty diverse like array of uh, things that we were interested in. And also my parents were kind of like always interested in different things. So like there weren't too many things that made me feel like, oh, that's not welcome in the house. That's too weird for mm -hmm. here. But when I would go visit relatives, they were all like closer to each other. 
they kind of had like closer interests and as I was able to perceive it, it seemed like there was a more common ground as far as um, cultural expression was concerned among my relatives and my cousins, when I speak of relatives that were my age. So a lot of times they would speak on how I, uh, they would comment on how I spoke, for example, my grammar, the way I pronounced words, um, my interests, the kind of music that I like. So those things, I, they never struck me as strange until I went to go mm. see other relatives and then I was strange to them. Yeah, yeah. But my parents, like, I think they did observe differences in the kind of person I was because of where I was growing up. But it was also something that they embraced. It wasn't something that like I felt excluded or like mm. out, uh, outcast because of. And I mean, how was school life for you? I mean, you mentioned there that you uh, had many white friends. Was you the odd one out in school? Like the first, like basically, you know, four or five years old, I've been a predominantly black urban environment. Mm. From what I remember, the schools that I was in were kind of like... Um, Kind of like Christian private schools, which is very common in the city for people to um, go to charter schools rather than public schools. But when I got to uh, New Jersey or to Mount Laurel, I feel like my intellect started to blossom. So I was always like somewhat of a leader. I remember third grade. So it's like you're looking at six, seven, eight years old. I was the only black kid in my class, but not the school. Mm third grade around nine or 10 years old was the first time I had other black classmates. Um, and by the time I got to middle school is when it started to be more diverse, yeah. but still predominantly white. But uh, as a child, I was like a natural born leader. I was like really good at manipulating kids into doing what I wanted to do. <laughs> I like if you sat next to me in class, I'm talking like second grade, eight years old, you sat next to me in class. I was like, oh, I used to write and draw like picture books, like to tell stories. And I was forcing who was sitting next to me to do the same. <laughs> so, like if you were sitting next to me, you were like an artist for that period of the school year. You got to play along. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was always like good at like organizing the kids and people kind of always like looked up to me. So um, throughout like elementary school, actually, like I was, I didn't have um, too many instances where I felt like ostracized because of my race but that plays into like a lot of my psyche and how I had to learn to deprogram a lot mm. of things because I was insulated from certain experiences which a lot of times as you're developing makes you think that they don't exist so even though the upbringing was good for me as I got older I had to learn how to like get in tune with the rest of the yeah. world you yeah, know? yeah no definitely and I mean, you mentioned there your intellect. You go on to study economics at university. Yes. How, how's that? This is actually a very, very important part of my story because when I mean, when I was in high school, I just knew all I wanted to do was music mm. and create and be an artist of some sort. I started out as a rapper. I mean, I still am, but yeah. that's where it started in high school. And that's all I knew I wanted to do when I got out of school. The subjects I was interested in at the time would have been more like astronomy and stuff like this, but I wasn't interested in like astronomy in terms of like math and like astrophysics. I just like planets and understanding what was out there. And my parents, because education was so important for their success and their survival, they thought that basically they were, they gave me an advantage by just putting me on the path. But instead of like trying to understand who I was or what I wanted to do, 
and working with me that way. They try to say like, this is what you're going to do. This is going to make you a lot of money. You're going to be okay. And I tried to do it, but it's just nothing about the subject was interesting to me. I couldn't grasp the material at the time, especially because the calculus of it was like really complex. It just stopped being numbers and started being a lot more theory. And I just wasn't interested in the subject. And a big thing about that was that the people, my classmates, were not really creative people, mm. or at least not creative in an artistic way. So I also felt like really outcast that way because I wasn't meeting people that was that were helping me like kind of get more exposure to the world that I wanted to see. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you couldn't find it in university, where did you find it eventually? Well, the thing is, I was also taking like humanities classes. I minored in music. And when I took those classes, then I was around art, like more artsy people. And of course, like those were the people that I would become friends with. So outside of my main classes, then those would be the people mm. I would hang out with. So I was still able to find it. But as far as the subject matter was concerned that I was studying, that didn't leave much for me to uh, be inspired by or motivated by. But the overall experience of being in a university was extremely valuable. Yeah. And I like, I almost like treasured the fact that I didn't waste my life going into this field, mm. but got to experience college. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you <know? laughs> You're like, I mean, no, I know what you went exactly. through. Exactly. that bit. Like the whole you thing. You like, the flip on the side of the coin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah, I yeah. fucked up in the last year. <laughs> so I went the whole way. <laughs> like got this serious the whole thing. And then, like, went off and fucked off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, you drop out. Where would you go next? Prague. Prague, straight up. Yeah. And this is where you delve really into music. So you delve into music and the music scene. You were connected, I was at a crossroads, and I was like, I could go to my exams or I could go to Prague. I'm yeah. going to Prague. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> so did you make the connections in, uh, in Philly, around university? Was you going out to make these connections to get you to Prague? So actually, the people who were doing it were based in New York, and I I was seeing what they were doing, and they used to come down to the Goth Nights in Philly, because the major crossroads when I started to realize I don't care about economics, I want to do art, was also my self-expression. I also started dressing like Goth, mm. because that's what I was doing in middle school, and I wanted to go back to the last time I felt creative and, yeah. and different, and um, so in exploring that, I started to go out to the Goth Nights and the clubs. And the people who were doing Drop Dead would come down to Philly to flyer and promote. And I've always been the kind of person where when I like something, I also have to know the history of it. So in doing so, I learned about all these bands from the UK and, you know, even started with Joy Division, let's say, yeah. Bauhaus, The yeah. Cure, you know, Depeche Mode, like uh, just to name a few of the more like well-known bands. Um, then other bands like UK Decay and Virgin Prunes from Ireland, uh, to name a couple of other maybe less known bands. Uh, and when I was going to see those people, I would see the little promotional shows they would th throw and they started recognizing me because I was also one of the only like African-Americans that enthusiastic about it. Mm. And so they kind of like brought me in. They're like, hey, like, you know, if you're really into this, like maybe you can help us promote, like come hang out. And uh, that's how I met them. Now, uh, the way that I got involved was back on MySpace back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there used to be a thing on there where when you went on the homepage, there were bulletins on the side. And that would be like the big thing that somebody was posting that everybody could see. And that's where you used to ask, like, I need help doing this. This is going on. Come here. 
So one time the person, her name is Polina, shout out to Polina. She's big reason that my life went the way it did. She put it up, put up a, a bulletin um, as the next drop dead festival in New York City was approaching, asking if someone had two very specific synthesizers that the headlining band could borrow. Mm. And I not only had them, but I had like better versions of yeah. them. They were looking for like a Roland Juno 60 analog synth and I had a Roland Juno 106. They were looking for like a Yamaha DX7, which is a famous digital uh, synthesizer from the late 80s. And I had a Core Triton, which was like the advanced like 2004 version. And so I gladly like gave it to them. I trusted them because they were pro musicians. And fast forward to after the festival and after everyone was super thankful to me and I got to meet so many people. Um, when I went to meet with them to get my stuff back, they were asking, why do you have the synthesizers? I said, I'm a musician. And they were like, oh, would you like to hang out and jam? Nice. And the, that, that's yeah, the that, so I mean, all your research into Drop Dead Festival and obviously your passion for music lined you up perfectly to slot in there. And that just to cover Drop Dead Festival is a magazine that holds It was a festival first. Festival first. And the festival started, it was the first year of it was, uh, I want to say, see, four was 2006, 2003 mm. at CBGB's famous punk club in New York City. Uh, and then they did it um, the following couple years and it was getting bigger and bigger and they would have like multiple days. Um, and yeah, uh, I got, I became aware of them around Drop Dead Festival 3. Um Nina Hagen was the lead, uh, the headliner. Brilliant. Um, and then I attended for the first time at the fourth one. That was uh, 2006. Uh, funny enough, that same weekend that I went there for Drop Dead Festival was the same weekend that Steve Irwin or Crocodile, Crocodile Hunter died. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, I mean, that was a moment. <laughs> yeah, he dropped dead from a stingray. And um, yeah, so th that was, it was going on. And when I became aware of them during Drop Dead 3 is when they first started Drop Dead magazine. So it was like a couple years in, they wanted to like do something to like syndicate yeah. the, the project outside of the festival. And I mean, you, you slotted in, you joined them and you joined them all the way to Prague, leaving university behind and uh, like you land in Europe. How is Europe for you? Well, I remember when they first said that they were going to do it in Prague. My bandmates and I, we were like, oh, okay, I guess that means we're not going to be there. Mm. And then when I looked up how much a plane ticket go cost, and uh, saw I could afford it because I worked at the computer lab at school, I went for it. Uh, having a ticket was crazy. Getting my passport stamped was crazy. I didn't, like, when you think of Europe as an American and you're not, like, you know, aware of what's out there, you're just thinking Italy, France, Germany, maybe, like, maybe Poland or like uh, uh, England. You're thinking of the places where there's a lot of roots in the U.S., but they're, yeah. like Prague was like not a city I was thinking of, so that yeah. was weird too. And uh, I got there, it's just like aesthetically beautiful. I was just like really euphoric the whole time because I was traveling, let alone for Drop Dead. Yeah. And just like, I, I had like a real culture shock because it was the first time I got to see there's people outside of America that aren't thinking about America, that are doing fine. And my whole like American exceptionalist programming also like went out the window. Nice. And then meeting people from different countries my age who were also into the same like 
subculture that I was was also mind-blowing. Yeah, no, brilliant, of course, I can imagine. And I mean, I guess that maybe brings us on nicely to a song that represents your past. Yes. What song have you chosen this morning? So this song is called Dreamcatcher. It was the first single from my album that I released last year. And uh, I dropped it in 2016. And I picked this one from my past because it was around the time where I was really despondent about Philly, getting ready to move here and felt that like all the work I had done trying to build my career was nothing so that like nobody cared what I was doing. So if you pay attention to the lyrics, it's very like pessimistic and like starving artists, woe is me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, here we are, dream catcher. And here we are. <laughs> Sick. But I don't ever get paid for my flow Plus I can hardly get paid for a show For money I got a DJ or a snow I am bitter, I just say what I know Props to the people that stayed with me though <laughs> Yeah, they be sleeping on me and it sucks Start Sucking the starving artist nightmare Caught in a dream catcher hung in a window for luck <laughs> Thugging and drag, yeah, I'm thugging and drag That was also one of the first uh, lyrics I ever talked about my gender presentation in. I mean, before that, was it just like full blown golf golf? Well, I mean, I was always. Was it like query golf or was it like. I was like, actually, golf was like the first uh, environment in which I was able to like freely and openly, publicly gender bend because before mm. it was like more of like a private thing. And uh, like from there, I, w I would just like go out like this. Like, uh, well, I guess they can't see what I mean. Maybe you could put a picture with it. <laughs> Dressed very feminine. Yeah. And uh, I did that in public, even wearing heels for like a really long time. And uh, I would just sometimes do it and sometimes dress masculine. And there became a point where it occurred to me that it could actually be a part of my like life. Mm. Like, not a compartmentalized thing, but like something that's part of my everyday being. And that was Dreamcatcher by Ixa, formerly known as Mr. Manic. The first choice of Ixa on the quarantine queue here on Bleach's BBC. And I mean, we get to hear how your mind was blown in Prague and this excitement, obviously involved with the festival and your band, you're playing... Uh, Symphon piano at this point in the band? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you go back to Philly. Do you take this inspiration and this excitement with you? What's the next steps for you in Philly to grow? Well, I went back and uh, I was, I had like an industrial project of my own at the time and we played like our couple of first shows at this time and then broke up. That was the main project I was doing my own when I joined the band. And when we called it quits, I stuck with the... Uh, band and we kept playing shows together we had like a little bit more of a name and a rep the magazine was doing better uh we went to california the beginning of the following year to um do a little tour so that was really cool um and at this point it was like riding the wave of the successful drop dead and that's also like the environment in which i started using the name mr manic because uh, up until that point, I was my music was also like very like goth and industrial, very dark, and this like 
during being in this band and incidentally while being involved with this like super goth like you know business here is how I started becoming more colorful mm. and more eclectic in my uh, expression because a lot of the bands actually were they weren't all like wearing like all black and black lipstick a lot of the bands that influence that subculture have all kinds of expression and uh it's a very diverse subculture so I started becoming more colorful and Mr. Manic was a way for me to express myself musically without being inherently dark all the time. And um, so then I was like also starting to ride that wave because uh, I had like a whole like psychedelic colorful aesthetic and going more into like the black lights and like uh, neon colors and the more the alien themes and a lot of the things that are still present uh, today in my music. And I mean, was it rap at this point? There were a couple of rap songs, but it was I was uh, I was first influenced by like early, like funky early eighties new wave. So you listen to this band Fad Gadget. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No, I'm not sure. I'll so, check them out. Uh, Fad Gadget, like they say, Frank Tovey, who was the uh, guy who did this, he was a crazy like kind of punkish, but very like you know just eccentric musician, and he discovered Depeche Mode. So Depeche Mode's very first tour was opening for him. And his stuff, like, at times can be very, like, funky, like, dancey stuff. He has a couple songs like Love Parasite, Lady Shave, Coitus Interruptus. I recommend those songs mm. to go listen to to hear um, what I mean by this, like, funky electro sound. Um, also, like, Depeche Mode's first album, stuff like Gang of Four and, like, Bands like this were really influential to the early Mr. Manic sound, but then I brought in some hip-hop influences here and there too, because that was still like a part of me. And I mean, you're getting more colorful with your aesthetic. Was this a time for lining up with your queer self? Were you, you mentioned earlier when I talked to you, sort of, it was a slow unveiling. Right. Well, the, uh, the unveiling was there for everything. So every way that I transformed and uh, transcended spiritually, and aesthetically, then so would my like gender presentation mm, mm. as like so if I was like very goth, then I was wearing like v shiny vinyl black high heels. Yeah. And when I was colorful, then I was wearing like clear or like glittery heels yeah, and stuff. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So that that like kind of was there, and it would just yeah. evolve with it. And I think as I, I as things went on, there were different levels in which my uh, gender presentation and queer like my willingness to be public about my queerness mm. would be like greater or lesser mm. you know what i mean so that itself was something that was kind of um fluctuating independently of my like spiritual growth. Yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah and i mean the hills are always immaculate and perfect mm. one of the first times i met you was at like monarch in Berlin and I think it was a quiddos and I was in the audience and I believe you came and you came, slipped your heels on, rolled up a spliff and just started smoking in the crowd like this gorgeous being in these heels and I was like, girl, <laughs> hooshi, girl, like honestly, it was sick. And I mean, from that, you're in Philly, you're sort of creating Mr. Manic, you're releasing music, you're DJing, you're organizing things. How do you get to translate late that over to Berlin? Well, I think uh, some point along the way, somebody was telling me Berlin is the place to go for electronic music. Mm. So it was on my radar as a place to visit because I knew I was going to go back to Europe somehow. I didn't know what capacity I would. 
I just knew I was going to, so that was a destination. And um, yeah, like I should mention also the very colorful neon part of my transformation had to do with this a phase that I went through of uh, taking lots of LSD, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which actually was a part of my spiritual growth, uh, yeah. but that's another subject. And uh, I mean, it's an interesting one. How was your interaction with LSD? Well, like I came into it, like in the, my interest in the goth and industrial scene, this band Velvet Acid Christ that I used to love a lot. They were like really into LSD as a part of like their uh, artistic inspiration. And so that's the first time I got to learn about it as something other than some scary drug. Mm, mm. Like they taught me in school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when I tried it, I was like, well, it's really interesting. And then I tried it again and I had like a harder trip and... The things that I saw during that started opening up like more thoughts about the universe beside, beyond a very surface level self-important uh, view of things because I feel like uh, eventually goth culture kind of just uh, the things that it focuses on are very just like human concerns. So mm. graveyards are a human innovation, uh, floral print and lace and fishnets and uh uh, horror stories and and and, and uh, horror films. These are all like very human, earthly yeah, 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 concerns. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. And um, I think in the psychedelic uh, phase of my life, I started thinking more about outer space again, and I started thinking more about my spirituality outside of the terms that they have been described by uh, humanity thus far, mm -hmm. i.e., religion. And I started just thinking about. Uh, spirituality in terms of being connected to nature and the universe around you and uh that was kind of why it's something that actually like really influenced me and like became a part of yes. who i was as well and I mean, then worked definitely. its way into my art to understand yourself and to understand your outside being and to understand how it interacts with other people is really important right to connect with that spirituality and obviously it came into did it evolve into electronic music after this psychedelic phase? I think I was like kind of starting, I was in electronic music already. Yeah. And then I was already listening to like psychedelic, like Psytrance and Goa mm. as a sound designer. Never done any like drugs at that point, yeah. except for maybe smoked weed a few times. And like, uh, so I was thinking of those things in terms of like a sound designer using synthesizers and then psychedelics kind of like opened up a synesthetic aspect of that where I started also thinking about how like the music feels in your body mm. and how that translates into like uh, uh, what you envision when you close your eyes or when your eyes are open and how you dance and move and like I, I felt like I became more organically connected to uh, music production through the psychedelic experience. I mean brilliant yeah. and I mean clearly you've uh, really enjoy and feel music has it always been that way? When you were younger, what was your first like musical uh, moment? For, for what kind of music? Just any music, like your first interaction with music. Uh, I guess like, my dad was a singer and my parents had records and they always like were listening to uh, music. And I was also singing to stuff I heard from a really mm. early age. And like, I remember like being like four years old and singing, uh, what is this? Hey now, hey now, and my sister was like pointing out the fact that I was singing this song, and I also like when we would go to the beach, for example, I was like making up a song about the fact that I was going to the beach 
and I was thinking about myself being at the beach and like uh, little like little things like this. So I think there was always like uh, this wiring there. Mm. And then, um, yeah, around the time four, five, six, seven, like what stuff that I watched on TV, like Ghostbusters. I was obsessed with Ghostbusters when I was really young. And like the song from this uh, show and movie was like something I was really connected to. And then the movie itself was one of my favorite movies. So I was connected to the songs from the soundtrack to that. Uh, I used to always be impacted by like um, the music that was in cartoons and shows. And that like told the story to me just as much as the words and the images did. Mm. Um, I think one of the uh, most profound experiences I had when I was younger that uh, connected me to music was actually like sitting down and consciously listening to Michael Jackson's Thriller album mm. uh, on record, which I still have this record to this day. And like sitting there in headphones yeah. and listening to it from start to finish, reading the uh, record sleeve and turning the record over and finishing the whole thing. And uh, I'd say the second experience would be um, when I first saw the first Terminator movie. Yeah. And the music to this, like the synthesizer score, like blew my mind and like actually became like the soundtrack in my head as I was like going through life. Yeah. And that really connected like music to life for me. So that was like very early on. I actually did have like this really deep connection with music. And I mean, we, you've, you sort of move, or you visit Berlin for the first time in 2010. Yeah. With the Drop Dead Festival. Uh, this was after, so say 2008, I went to Portugal after Prague. Mm. 2009, it didn't happen. Yeah. It was like uh, the person who was doing it was moving from New Jersey to Berlin. Uh, 2010, it was in Vilnius, Lithuania. I wasn't able to go. I was working at the time and just in my own life, uh, doing my thing in Philly. Uh, but I wanted to visit the people that I had met before yeah. and my old friends. So I went to visit Berlin uh, beginning in, end of uh, October, beginning of November 2010, right after it had happened to like meet up with people. And, and Berlin was like one of the first places I went to besides the UK. Mm. And um, I met up with Polina, who organized Drop Dead, who I used to work with, and she showed me around. But we only spent, like, a day here. And then we went to, like, Leipzig the next day, and then I went to, like, mm. keep going and being a tourist. So it was, at that time, I wasn't working with Drop Dead, but still friends with them and wanting to, like, kind of get back in touch with it, but kind of more on my own terms, because mm. I also wasn't really, like... Uh, uh, into the goth scene as much that, at that point like I had moved on I still had my influences from there but I wanted to like go back and experience that like as the person I was then yeah. on your own make the adventure on your own and you finally come to Berlin in 2016 yeah the summer of 2016 and then Berlin gets to interact with Mr. Manic at the time <laughs> and then you join the House of Presents you're in the House of Living Colors and later on you join the Venus Boys you become an influential performer as well as a musician and, of course, DJing. But you become a, a drag artist. How's your, like, life with drag? <laughs> well, like, drag has, like, always been something that's been, like, interesting to me. Just because, like, from the... I, I first experienced dysphoria at the age of four. That was the first time, like, I 
had thoughts about like uh, gender bending, gender queering, however we can call it now. <laughs> and uh, that was something that was always kind of present through my life. So whenever I saw images in the media, of course, I was like paying attention to them. So I remember seeing RuPaul for the first time when Supermodel came out. Yeah, gorgeous. And like uh, realizing that this was like a man who was dressed as a woman, but somehow relating to that. Mm. Um, and then uh, I saw Paris is Burning mm. at a really young age also, right around the, uh, that same time. Uh, it was, I, if I remember correctly, it was at my mom's mom's house. And it was just on in the background while we were at like a family get together. Yeah. And I remember being like quite interested in what they were showing there, even though I didn't fully understand it and wouldn't understand it until years later. Yeah. Um, then RuPaul also had a show on VH1 that was a talk show with yeah, yeah, Michelle Visage yeah. as the co-host. And that was like around the time I was like early teen years, like getting into puberty. So there was like then starting to be like a, a sexuality component to mm. my gender like uh, dysphoria as well yeah and um so seeing that kind of like was influencing me more and like seeing how she looked and how like she was very like fiercely feminine but yeah. also like in somewhat of a sexualized way yeah. um also jerry springer was on tv around this time <laughs> and he always had like um like the uh guess what i was born a man transsexual <laughs> secrets and all so I was like seeing these like images as yeah. well, but I always identified with them. The mm. thing was, I didn't know the difference between like trans people and like or trans women and like drag queens. Mm. And I didn't like I would see like on documentaries that some people lived as women but were born men. But these things were all like conflated to me. I didn't like come to understand them until uh, like later. And then as I started going out clubbing for the first time, like in New York, when I was like in my early 20s, this was the first time I saw like mm. trans women, drag queens and like club kids with my own eyes. Yes. And like, I think these experiences contributed to me actually starting to like um, get into that, like through clubbing mm. and going out and partying and then eventually into my own life. But I'm always to see yourself in other people for the first time. Right. Exactly. Like before it was just the TV. It was like a distance thing. And then clubbing, you get to actually see the people and feel yourself. Right. Really. Right. Mm. So in the process of this, as I was going through my like twenties and going out and stuff, very often I would seek out drag shows yeah. to go to. Yeah. And, um, as a musician, like, I didn't necessarily identify with the lip syncing performance of it. And oftentimes they were, you know, performing like pop songs and like kind of like diva pop. And this is not, you know, the first music I listened to. <laughs> so like I didn't connect with it this way, mm. but I connected to the aesthetics. Yeah. And so the, and that always just influenced me as how I expressed myself, mm. even though I never considered myself a drag artist. But getting involved with drag here is incidental because I had no plans for that when I came here. Yeah. Um, it's just that in seeing what was around Berlin and always looking for drag shows when I was looking for things to do, um, I came up on uh, House of Presence at Monster Ronson's. Yeah. And... Uh, of course, when I went to go out, you know, I dressed up for it. Yeah, and, and looked stunning every time. <laughs> like, literally at the DJ booth playing the sickest music. Right. I mean, it was gorgeous. And Yeah, I think the very first time I went, uh, Pansy, like, 
<laughs> uh, called me out from the audience and like complimented uh, my looks and everything. And I remember the something about the environment there made me feel like I was welcome to ask if I could be a part of it. Yeah. And um, uh, Pansy told me to write the Giza. Yeah. Uh, and when I did, Giza was incredibly like welcoming I mean, and yeah, warm. Giza's a babe. And like um, they invited me right in for uh, to do uh, House of Presents. I mean uh, the Poke House. Yeah. Excuse me. And I believe I did uh, Dreamcatcher. Nice. Actually, yeah, at yeah. that uh, performance. And then uh, I went back to the actual, you know, uh, main show mm. and did another song. And then um, I noticed that they had DJs there. So I was like, hey, can I come back and DJ sometime? Yeah. So then I came back and DJed one time. And then they were like, uh, Pansy was like, um, hey, uh, you did a really good job. If you want to do this every month, like you can. Yeah. So then I started DJing like once a month. And. Uh, very quickly, then Pansy started asking, like, if I could DJ at the uh, Bjork show at SSX and yeah, Drysage, yeah, yeah, yeah. and invited me to Mount Festival, and then like, um, just within that, it just actually snowballed really yeah, quickly. Nice. At the same time, I started working at Urban Spree. To, uh, that same summer, I started doing House of Presents, and um, the booking guy there, uh, Josh, uh, is a really awesome guy. I actually met him in Berlin in 2013. He immediately did a lot to help me get like booked with some nice shows. And the people there were always like really supportive of me once they found out that I was a, a musician. And um, so those things kind of like blossomed at the same time and eventually just started crossing paths. Nice. Because I would see people from the drag shows, ev events that yeah. I was doing and vice versa. And it kind of just converged in this way. So this in incidental falling into drag just helped my music career kind of uh, blossom, but also having this front row seat yeah. to this amazing, diverse queer art for a year, like finally made me feel like, I think I see what I could do. Yeah. That's not musical performance, that's more performance art and let me try it. Yeah. And everyone around was like, I guess I can say they saw something in me and really encouraged me to like uh, do something. So, uh, First, I would say Adrian Godex Norfelis from mm. House of uh, Living Colors um, said, I want you to do something for our Black History Month show. Like, there's something, I know you have something in you, I want you to do it. And I challenged myself because they challenged me. And I made a performance for it, and that was, like, my first thing like this. Mm. Then there was uh, Kathleen, um, who also goes by Noble Share from uh, Real Housewives of Noi Kun, mm. um, who was doing Queerdos. And also, like, I used to come to the show and they also pointed me out the way you described <laughs> and were like, you're next, bitch. You're coming yeah, to the show. You're doing this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They pulled something out of me. Like, I know you can write something. I know you got something. So then I did Queerdos. Then um, Camp Dad also yeah. was informing Venus Boys was like, I know you have something in you. Like, this is my concept. We met at um, your cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they were like, this is my concept. This is what I want to do. This is like what my vision is, this is where I'm trying, the conversation I'm trying to have with it, and I really see something in you. Yeah. Like, can you make something, like, yeah. we come be a part of it? And then I tried something for Venus Boys and just, like, 2019, just month after month. I mean, that was People brilliant. were just challenging yeah. me. I know you can do this, like, and yeah. I just, I went for it. And, yeah. like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a challenge because I feel, like, really comfortable as a musical performer. 
but I always wanted to like perform in other ways and it mm. was like a real challenge because I'm not as comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to really like, you know, uh, look into myself and like, you know, just really go back to like uh, the basics and think about like, you know, how, what am I saying as an artist and mm. how can I say it mm. and like how many ways can I say it? And I mean, you do it brilliantly and it's mm. so nice to see all different facades that you at Queerdos, you're doing like poetry and some of your own music as well, still having that moment. And then in Venus Boys, creating a whole drag character. <laughs> like so a, what was he, 50? In the, the 50s, 50s closeted, uh, like pop star. inspired, <laughs> <Bewop> singer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then you get to see all these different facades of you. It's so exciting and nice to see you, like, as you say, expanding into all of it. It's brilliant. Well, I think uh, the most uh, rewarding thing about it is that I feel that, like, witnessing all of the artists that I've seen here in Berlin and that have passed to and as I've had a chance to travel and getting a chance to do these kinds of performances also really, like, helped my musical performance improve mm. and when i go back on stage and do my original music and do my like rapping performance like i feel like a better performer because of being around drag artists and and doing drag and doing spoken word and doing these different mm. kinds of and was that was this this expanding the change from mr manic into chi chi the mm. red bill uh like uh, <laughs> the chi chi thing came like because when i was thinking about doing drag for the first time, my drag name was going to be Chartreuse Chablis. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those <laughs> words start with CH. And uh, uh, I became very close with uh, Aza from uh, House of Presents, who uh, used the nickname Cha Cha. And uh, there was one time we were at Ber Berghain last year during um, Easter weekend. Mm. And uh, we were all like hanging together and they were like introducing me to people that I uh, like that they knew that I hadn't met, and um, I was meeting people also. And at some point, when someone asked what my name was, it just like came to me to say yeah. Chi Chi yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because of Chartreuse Chablis. Yeah, and um, like uh, the red pill thing was kind of like uh, uh, Asa and I kind of always like have this uh, shared interest in the Matrix, and we kind of mm. like refer to it not only like. Uh, within our work and creatively but also like spiritually in some ways and I was kind of like referencing this in some ways and it kind of sound like a a, a swaggy uh, like rap name to have you know what I yeah. mean like LL Cool J Chi Chi Red Pill you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah, yeah definitely. we do like a uh, Grace Jones at uh, Schwartz yeah. yeah and all this and then like slap bang comes Corona and this like expanded self is like locked inside. I'm sure you lost gigs and like a calendar of stuff. How was that? Um, yeah, it was like this year I wanted to play less in Berlin and do more touring. Hey, do more touring. And I had uh, gigs in May. I also deliberately chose to not play shows for the first half of the year. Um, because I'd spent the entire 2019 gigging, 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 gigging. I wanted to get back to working on music. And I finally had some shows booked for May. That was the plan. I was going to start performing mm -hmm. in May. I had a show booked in Copenhagen. I had a show booked in Bucharest for the Pride. And I had a show booked in uh, Halle, um, uh, Germany for the uh, 
feminine, no feminine festival, mm. and um, so I was going to book gigs around that. I was going to make nice, a little yeah. out of country, out of Berlin tour, and uh, so I, that all like went out the window. That's fucking shit. That sounds exciting. Uh, I didn't lose the gigs, yeah, but yeah, 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 I lost the gigs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And but, then, I mean, were you yeah. locked up inside? Was there a sort of lockdown moment? I mean, the bars closed. I were mean, friends sensitive? Were you washing hands? Like, I've had people react like full blown, like, don't leave the house. And then I've been I, like, I was on the casual. tube every other day. I was casual. <laughs> you know. A casual quarantine. <laughs> I didn't like, I didn't lock. Uh, you know, and uh, I'll plead the fifth on how like long it took me to like realize I should actually take it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just say when I had that dawning moment and I saw that I was one of the only persons that was outside of a place <laughs> on my way home from where I was, I was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in my defense, the day before there were more people out. Um, <laughs> But I stayed home for the most part, and I started to watch Netflix more. I started to catch up on stuff I couldn't watch when I was at home or when I was working mm. all the time. I actually had a moment to breathe. Nice. I could sleep and wake up whenever I wanted to. Um, I started working on like projects that I was doing, like I was making a mask with little rhinestones, and I had like started it like a year before, and it's been sitting there. And then I like practically finished it, and. Uh, started working on music and putting like stuff together and just all the stuff that I wanted to do when not playing shows, but didn't really have time to do because I was working mm. so much and also still like um, working on the endangered species project with uh, in living colors, house of uh, living colors um, was taking up a lot of time in the first month. And I was doing also queerdos for uh, the first two months mm. of the year and then working a lot. So it's just a, uh, I actually had the time to work on stuff at nice. home. So I actually tried to be positive about it. And like, it was a little daunting at first thinking about the financial reality, but I also uh, was very fortunate in some ways with the arrangements with uh, the places that I work at and then the um, freelance relief that they had here as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, it brings us to the present moment. We're standing, sitting in Bad House here on, in Warschauer. In the Rogelander. And there's gorgeous graffiti on the wall and a second-hand fair outside. There's people out. Corona's getting lifted. What's your song for the present? Uh, it's Mercury. It's kind of about being fluid which is a lot of who I am and what I am. And also, I just kind of always like the feeling of like liquidity and things flowing like water. And like, just, I don't know, it could be, you can look at life and reality in the world and, and even physical reality, just all like flowing waters in ways. And even when we think about the universe before it became to be, we also sometimes look at it as a primordial ocean and so I'm just thinking about this in like the forms of like liquid metal being a solid and liquid form. Gorgeous words and a gorgeous song by Ixa Mercury, your second choice on the quarantine queue. It's also really like a b-boy breakdance inspired, nice. <laughs> like early 80s, like electro rap. 
<laughs> fine for me. Uh, this is one of my favorite songs to perform, actually, because I use the vocoder in it. Yeah, nice. The robot voices. It's actually crazy mental. It's all going off all at the same time. I wish I could hear it through bigger speakers. This laptop. Well, uh, I've mostly recommended headphones, actually. Mm. Okay. And I was going to say, actually, uh, first time I saw you was at House of Presents when I was DJ and you were performing. Mm. No, I think, I can't remember if you were performing or if you were in the crowd and came on stage and uh, you gave your bit that there could be uh, <laughs> no revolution without sexual revolution <laughs> and no sexual revolution without homosexual revolution. Yeah. And you had your, uh, like, Union Jack, like, dem a denim, like, punk jacket. And, you know, with the story that I told earlier, clearly I, like, quickly attached to that. You know, because I always, like, viewed punk and uh, queerness as, like, uh, things that were very closely intertwined. And, um, but I remember, like, you had a very, like, uh, like intense like presentation and personality <laughs> and then i got to work with you uh for queerdos yeah where then we were both in this more introspective uh like literary <laughs> environment <laughs> theater, like in like you know real like a uh, theater craft environment and i got to see like this different side of you where you were uh telling a story and talking about yourself but then telling it through words and how you uh express yourself in this way so i feel like um like very early on we got to interact in a yeah. way that we got to see very quickly the uh range yeah, yeah, yeah in which yeah, we yeah, express yeah, yeah. ourselves yeah definitely mm -hmm. definitely i mean it was so exciting berlin was literally popping off stuff was happening everywhere yeah and it shut down now and it's like it looks like it might take a while until it's back together what do you think Berlin looks like after, after Corona? Uh, I think it's going to be like <laughs> some crazy renaissance of like people really going all in. Mm. Because I think people realized uh, when you have the opportunities to do things like snatched away from you in a way where it's like there's no... A recourse or alternative mm. then you think about like oh what why what didn't i do this already why did i waste time like doing this when i could have like mm. imagine i empathize maybe with a hypothetical performer who finally had their like guts to get on stage and they had their first gig but then now they can't do it mm. or the person who would have maybe around this time tried to finally do their first gig and, and couldn't and are saying, why didn't I do it sooner? Yeah. And, you know, I think about a lot of things that I wasn't able to do in that way. Like, why didn't I like go for it? And when I'm thinking about it in this, in this way, it's because of when uh, I think about some of the reasons that I didn't, it was my own laziness. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think, um, uh, I see people like just going even deeper into their uh, respective crafts yeah. and, and putting more into it as we're doing our, the streaming, um, you know, entertainment and performances now. So you have like DJs and bands and, and, and drag artists and people of 
you know, all kinds of disciplines and, and, and philosophies now doing it with live streaming and coming together in this way. And I've seen people really like, you know, go all in and really give a lot to it because they don't have the uh, pressures of the, um, say, the timing of getting ready to be on stage mm -hmm. where you have like an hour or two hours to do so. And uh, versus when you have some days to really put all your thought into it. I mean, life slowed down a lot, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. had the chance to like concentrate on what was what we really wanted to do in this world. Right. So I think that's going to now like uh, translate back into the post-corona world, where you're going to see what people were up to when everything was uh, shut down, and you're going to see. Uh, people like going for it more. Mm. And I think like the parties are going to be fuller. Yeah. I think there's going to be an insane rush of people like trying to get booked and trying to organize things. <laughs> uh, it's going to be like a lot of like healthy competition because you're going to just, it's going to be all out there. And uh, yeah, I'm actually like really excited for it. I think it's going to be like really cool that like, everyone had this chance to kind of like breathe and like look at themselves and, and see who they are and see what they're, what they're doing here, what they want to do. And we're going to be interacting with this new reality, like in our heads or in our minds. I mean, an exciting, hopeful future that I'm can't bloody wait to join. Yeah. And what song would uh, be your choice for this future? So I uh, picked NASA because in a very near future, I'm releasing a music video for it. Yeah! <laughs> you got set up video dates. Uh, I'll think about like uh, sometime in June or like beginning of July because it's mostly done, but I would like to finish it and have it like solidly done mm. before I say I'm coming it out. I have a habit of setting a deadline and then I'm like, finishing it on mm. that day <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I can healthily say it'll be in July probably the early part of July maybe just right in the smack dab in the beginning of it um, and it's going to be really really cool nice uh, the locations and the sets that I've been able to uh, like work in are like really like one of a kind opportunities and they're special because they can't be duplicated by me or anyone else. And uh, I guess you'll see what that means when it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's got something to look forward to after Corona. NASA by Ixa. Red Pill. <laughs> nice. Cyborg. I was like, Chi -chi. <laughs> Mr. Manic. Yeah. <laughs> I think like uh, at the core of like a lot of what I did with this album and I guess the phase I'm in with music is that I'm like influenced by a lot of sounds that are readily accessible like in the mainstream music sphere, like very influenced by trap and by like certain kinds of pop and R&B and like uh, you know, mu music like this and even a lot of dance music. 
but I'm also like uh, very influenced by like experimental noise music and like genres like breakcore and IDM, which are very glitchy, very like stuttery, lots of like details and like kind of like this all over the place element, but it's like organized sort of chaos and um, very rhythmic. So I try to like combine those worlds and I take uh, the catchy, like familiar bass mm. and I produce it in a way that's like this more experimental styles of music that I'm influenced by. Gorgeous. What's the album called? MK Ultraviolet. MK Ultraviolet. You get the reference? Nah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is another psychedelic reference. It's like uh, when uh, after World War II, the um, CIA, I think they were called the Office of Secret Strategy at the time before they became the CIA. Uh, at the beginning of the Cold War, they were trying to get the edge on the Russians. And um, they were coming up with um, interrogation techniques, and they had this program called MK Ultra. And part of it involved experimenting with like psychedelic drugs. And uh, this is around the time that like LSD was first synthesized, and um, they were uh, using this among other things to like test on inmates, test on like drug addicts, uh, test on like mobsters to see if they would tell the truth and like. They eventually started testing it on each other without telling each other, and shady <laughs> stuff happened. And uh, a lot of people actually had, like, uh, you know, horrible, like, civil rights abuses inflicted upon them by agents who were testing things like this to try to, um, you know, figure out mind control and truth telling and, like, ways to interrogate people. And, uh, you know, a lot of, like, conspiracy theorists. theorists uh, like point to MK Ultra as like evidence that like the government does shady stuff in the mm. name of intelligence and national security, and it is a true thing that it happens. A lot of the uh, documents are declassified, uh, but it still also is like fodder for conspiracy theorists to use as well. Mm. But because the fact that he used uh, LSD among other things in the testing, it's something that you come into. Uh, you know, understanding about if you're kind of in this world of like, you know, psychedelic culture yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So I just kind of like made a play on that word. Yeah. So MK Ultra Violet. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so that was NASA by Chi Chi, our guest today from the album MK Ultra Violet. MK Ultra Violet. MK. MK. Ultra Violet. Ultra Violet. Inspired by the documentation of LSD back, when was that? That was like 40s and 50s. Bloody hell. If you go on YouTube, you can like see like interviews that they did with like people like they would give them LSD, like give a housewife LSD and like Mm. ask her what she was feeling when she saw or like test like a schizophrenic and give him LSD and like interview him. And they tested it on soldiers to see if they would be competent or confused in battle. (laughs) So you can even find uh, footage uh, from these tests on uh, YouTube as well. Bloody hell. And I mean, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of our beautiful radio broadcast today. But I do, in a lockdown, I give you the Bible and the full works of Shakespeare. And you get to choose a book of your own. What book would you take to lockdown? Quarantine. Between those two? No, you've got to choose your own. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> you put me on the spot. Uh, I would take... <clears throat> 
the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Here wow. We go. What's that? Uh, it's like the scroll that like they uh, would make for when people died. Yeah, yeah. And it had all the spells and the prayers and like um, a lot of the um, deities in their pantheon are described and they have like roles in it and uh, you can like get it as a book like transliterated and like with the hieroglyphs and then how it's uh, pronounced in the ancient Egyptian and then uh, what it translates to and then like a Anglo like uh, English version of that. I mean, know? stunning. So you've got that in lockdown yeah. and do you get to choose one meal, like one luxury meal in quarantine? What's, what's your favorite thing? Have you been cooking during quarantine? Quite a bit. What, <laughs> what's <laughs> your food life like? Let's say grilled uh, chanterelles. Nice. <laughs> Grilled chanterelles in it. like uh, coriander and uh, basil and uh, some olive oil and uh, maybe some like glass noodles and uh, something like creamy and cold and sweet on the side, preferably with caramel. Gorgeous. Absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. And then finally, if the internet breaks down and you've only got these three songs and you have to download one of them, which song will it be? NASA. Nice. Thank you so much, Chi Chi. You can find Chi Chi on Instagram and look forward to that new music video coming out in the end of July. And I just say, uh, rest in peace, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, and protest your hearts out. Be safe out there. I support you. Thank, thank you, Chi Chi. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. That was Bleach's BBC, the quarantine queue with Chi Chi. If you'd like to hear other performers, musicians and restaurateurs, go check out Bleach's BBC, the quarantine queue. And until then, I hope you have a very good time. <laughs>